Hello and welcome to the Holy Hour Podcast. It's the All Cure Podcast, the bi-weekly cure podcast where we talk endlessly about perhaps the greatest band that ever lived and is living the cure. So welcome. I hope everyone's doing good out there. My name's Gavin. If you're joining us for the first time, it doesn't usually flow like this, but uh, it's been a while since I just... Uh, did a late night semi-spontaneous one for you guys, but the the urge struck, and here we are. And um, I think it's going to be a fun one, so I'm pretty excited to... Uh, I just got rolling with this topic that I started thinking about and reading about. Um, Isabel posted a link, that chain, chain Reaction, it went in my head. So thank you, Isabel, for inspiring this one. And uh, I felt like some light needed to be shown on... 41 years ago tonight. Yep, I'm recording this on the actual night, March 4th, 2020. But really, I'm thinking about 41 years back, March 1st, 1979. I know, I should have done... <laughs> That's a cat toy. Um, so, <laughs> March 4th, 1979. 41 years ago, I should have done this a year ago is what I was getting at. And... uh but, you know, that's not how we roll here on the Holy Hour Podcast. So we have a cool show for you. Like I said, we got a lot of cool anniversary ones on the horizon because a lot of cool anniversaries are happening. They might not be nice and neat as in like 40, 25, whatever. But at the same time, here it is. 41 years ago tonight, some magic happened. We're going to relive it right here together. But before we dive into all that, I do want to just make an announcement that three major things I want to share with you guys with the Holy Hour podcast side of things. It's more business side, so because I love you guys so much, I'm going to put the more cure-related content here in the beginning. We'll do our somewhat normal or whatever normal is show, and then I will tell you all about what I have planned. I have three big ideas to share with the podcast. I kind of want to bounce it off you too. You can tell me if you think they're horrible ideas or if you think they're great ideas. But either way, um, I kind of just want you to be aware of these ideas so I can rest peacefully at night knowing you've been properly warned. Okay? So um, I know that sounds kind of ominous. I promise I'm not like disclosing I'm growing a third eye on my head or anything. It's fairly fun news, I think. But um, nonetheless, I want to share it to the end of the episode. So um, hang in there after all the official Cure Talk is done, and you'll see what the hell I'm talking about. And uh, if some reason you start getting bored to tears during the actual content of this episode, I advise you skip ahead and see what I'm talking about so uh, you don't get lost in the dark on this stuff. Okay, but that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Three big announcements. I like to build suspense, right? So, uh, tonight's episode. The Cure, March 4th, 1979. What the hell possibly happened that night so early in their career? Well, I'll tell you. It was probably in the title of this podcast anyway. The Cure played a show at the Marquee in London, England, and fucking Joy Division was the opening act. What? Yeah. You know, obviously to a lot of most Cure fans out there, that's not a big shock. But at the same time, that's a pretty epic fucking night, right? There's a lot of crossover fans out there. I think, um, you know, we've mentioned it with the Smiths and stuff. But uh, I think there's probably even a stronger connection of Cure fans and Joy Division fans. 
And if you do Joy Division slash New Order fans, I'd say it's pretty near impossible to find a Cure fan that doesn't also at least enjoy a good handful of Joy Division and New Order songs, too. So there's a huge crossover section here. So um, maybe this is a uh, good time to uh, light a spark in somebody out there that might be listening. You know what the world really needs? is a solid multi-episode Joy Division slash New Order podcast. So I think someone out there is the person to do it. I'm throwing it out there to you guys. I hope you take me up on it because that would be rad as hell and I would enjoy listening to that. So much of a story to recap, thoughts, you know the format at this point. However you want to do it. Um, so let's focus on Marquee 1979, March 4th. Exactly 41 years ago tonight, instead of sitting in here, I could have been at the show. And uh, I don't know, could someone argue that this was possibly the greatest show ever performed? Maybe. You don't really see so many uh, testimonials on cure groups or anything of people that have been at this show. Somebody had to have been there. So if somehow you're listening and you were at this show... Definitely let us know. But uh, we're going to just kind of go through what we do know about this show and piece it together. Because surprisingly, there isn't a lot written about it. Um, I think because it was so early in the Cure's career and Joy Division's career was so short-lived that, uh, you know, it wasn't really like a lot of write-ups were, you know, given. And uh, even in the Cure literature, there's not really that much written about this show. But we're going to piece it all together tonight, my friends. Everything we do know about this show and try to reimagine and relive it as best as we can. So uh, let's, let's start at the top. What do you say? Here's what we do know. The Marquee is a widely respected music venue, especially from 1964 to 1988. It was located at 90 Wardour Street in Soho, London. This would be the venue's heyday during this time period. It existed at a different location prior to 1964 and would later move after 88. But during 64 to 88 were definitely the golden years, if you will. And uh, just take a second to think about that even, the possibility of bands in England between 1964 and 88 that could have played through through there. Um, let's see. Uh, so, so the end part of the 60s, you're going to have bands, little, little familiar bands such as the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, The Who, Jimi Hendrix Experience, The Manish Boys featuring a young David Bowie. Uh, by the 70s, you get Queen and The Faces, more Bowie. And it uh, sounds like the venue never really boasted that it was a full-on punk venue. I think it was a little more mainstream club than that. Um, but it would kind of take on the punk bands once they got a little bit more established. Um, despite its dismal accommodations and sounding a lot like a punk venue, uh, it would have bands like the Sex Pistols and Buzz, Buzzcocks and the Jam, so totally catering to the post-punk by the late 70s there. Um, the Police, The Clash... All of them played there, and, uh, you know, that just kind of even scratches the surface. We could spend a whole episode just listing bands that had played there. But, um, so yeah, if you get a chance, look it up. There's a, it's a quite an impressive list. All of them played there, and, um, of course, Joy Division and The Cure. So getting a show there for The Cure, like, two months before Three Imaginary Boys even came out, so they didn't even have 
an album out at this point. They had only put out uh, singles. Um, I don't even think Boys Don't Cry was out yet, officially yet. Just uh, Killing an Arab single. They'd been touring around a lot, um, playing playing lots of shows, so they must have built up some momentum. But it was a big fucking deal to get a show at the Marquee. And uh, what was even more amazing was that The Cure wasn't just given a one-off show. They were given a residency, meaning that they would play the Marquee once a week for an entire month of March in 1979. They'd been given four Sunday night shows and would get to choose their supporting act. So, the Cure chose four up-and-coming acts that they felt were a great match. First off, on March 4th, kicking it all off, was a band called Joy Division. So this came out barreling, having Joy Division doing the opening show. Um... So they were very early in their short career as well. Unknown Pleasures, their debut album, uh, wasn't even out yet either. Um, they had put out a couple singles as well. But um, yeah, so which was kind of crazy to think, but it, Unknown Pleasures wasn't even out yet either. Uh, the following weeks, the support acts would be a band called Fashion and a Local Operator and Scars, a band from Scotland, would close it out on the 25th. So... Can't say I'm too familiar with any of those bands. Um, you know, when I got more time, I'll look them up here, see if uh, any of them hung around there for a while, but not too familiar with any of them. Um, and guess how much these shows would all cost? One little pound. Yep. Uh, today, it would still only be about 4.62 pounds, and that is currently equal to about six bucks uh, U.S. dollars. So... For all of us trying to convert it into nowadays in U.S. currency, uh, about six bucks, so which is, you know, and my math could be horribly wrong, but that's based on some Google punch-ins there. But uh, six bucks to see the Cure and Joy Division? Sign me up. So as far as actual details on the marquee shows, accounts vary. As I said, they quickly start to steer off from what we do here they contradict each other from the people that do talk about it and they're all pretty vague um but it did sound like each show got slightly bigger and bigger and more successful i don't know if that's just from the cures general um, popularity getting slowly bigger within a month or just word spread from these shows that they're kicking ass and doing great and somebody should check them out but by the fourth show with scars there um, it was a sold-out show, even, and Lowell writes about that really cool in his book, Cured. A lot of this comes up from Cured, but, um, yeah, just expressing how weird it was that they'd go out for a smoke break and uh, see that they're switching it over to Full House, sold-out show, and they're just like, what? Like, can't believe that the show that they're about to play is actually sold out the marquee. And uh, I think there's even a line in one of them that says that some guys walk by and like, fucking Cure sold out the marquee? What the hell? Kind of thing. And uh, them laughing about it. So, uh, so yeah, definitely, unfortunately for, for Joy Division, though, because it sounds like they get it all rolling, but it was probably the smallest crowd of the four bands playing. So, um, as far as the night of March 4th, then, let's focus on that one. And uh, Joy Division's bassist, Peter Hook, would say the room was packed, while The Cure would say it was half empty, depending on which um, book you read or which uh, passage. Um, so that kind of varies, too. But The Cure, at one point, I think in 10 of measure years, said that the room was 
half empty, unfortunately, since it was the first one. Who knows? Maybe it's all a matter of perspective, too. Who is the most depressed band? Let's see. Half full, half empty. Um, but uh, they do have some handwritten scribbled set lists that are floating around out there. Pictures of them. Somebody was lucky enough to scrap, grab the set list for both bands. So, um, geez, can you imagine having one of those? And we'll post the pictures of those on our Facebook page. But um, both of them, handwritten, scribbled out set list, as set list should be. And uh, Joy Division's set list was pretty solid. Um, they opened with a song called Soundtrack, which would become Exercise 1, and then followed that with She's Lost Control, Shadow Play, Leaders of Men, Insight, Glass, Digital, Ice Age, and then wrapped it all up with Transmission. So pretty solid set list from Joy Division for sure. Joy Division, like New Order, are always strange where they... Like the masters of like naming their songs, something they never even say in the <laughs> stuff. Some of those might not even sound familiar, but then when you hear them, you're like, oh yeah, yeah totally that song. But um, yeah, totally awesome set list. The Cure would come out blazing with a classic Three Imaginary Boy era set list as well. They would open with 10:15 Saturday night, going to Accuracy, Grinding Halt, Another Day, Object, Subway Song. They even played Foxy Lady and Meat Hook. And Three Imaginary Boys, Boys Don't Cry, Plastic Passion, Fire in Cairo, It's Not You would close out the main set. And then the encore would be strange where they would actually play Do the Hanza. Uh, do the Hanza, however you want to say it. Um, Killing an Arab and 1015 Saturday Night Again, which was weird. And uh, it seems like there's some varying details on whether they did that only this night or the other ones too, but... Uh, it was strange that they would actually close with the opener from the first set, which kind of leads me to believe that there wasn't a very big crowd there because usually when you do something like that, it's because you're assuming that the people that are there came late, so they missed the first song. Um, who knows? Yeah, I don't really know why they would do that, but uh, pretty cool just to see The Cure that early in their career where they would do something like what a local band would do and play the same song twice. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much every song from Three Imaginary Boys and Boys Don't Cry. So I don't know about you, but that's definitely a set list I wouldn't mind seeing from start to finish. Oddly, the show never really got recorded. Um, I don't know why nobody thought that would be a good idea, but there's no surviving audio of that night. Um, there is a bootleg out there of the next week's show on the 11th. Um, we'll put a link to that. It's just a really shitty bootleg sounding you know recording but at the same time that's cool that that survived and there is a cool photo of robert apparently from this first night so of the actual night from the fourth in the visual documentary book um it's funny because i looked at that a million times and i never realized that that was from that night and it's kind of nuts because he totally has his old fluffy parted down the middle late 70s robert look going you know and uh is surprisingly still using his straight-up Woolworths Top 20 guitar. So at this point, he still hadn't actually pulled the pickup out from that guitar and put it into the Jazz Master, which would become kind of the classic Robert Smith guitar. Um, but I thought that probably would have happened definitely by this point, but uh, apparently not. So he was still using the old uh, Top 20 guitar for this one. 
which is kind of cool and weird for all you guitar nerds out there. Um, we'll post this picture on the Facebook page as well and check it out. But it's totally from the marquee. You can see it behind him. So uh, pretty neat. So yeah, you would think even like, you know, a mere three years after this show, even the importance of it would have kind of been declared a bigger deal. Um, but even in all the cure books and and uh, the literature that is out there, there's really not much written up about this show. Like we said, uh, looking back to the oldest source at Three Imaginary or Ten Imaginary Years book, um, they have kind of funny little passage, but it's not even really that much written on the show either. Um, but I'll read this for you, which is kind of funny because right off the bat, Robert kind of contradicts himself too. Um, it says, "There we were." The whole venue was full, and the stage was regularly invaded. On the first night, they let in 900 people, even though the capacity was supposed to be 800. So on another one, they're saying we were playing to an empty, half-empty room. But uh, So maybe he's mixing up the last night and the first night? I don't know. But um, then Lowell in the book says, I remember Ian Curtis had a very sad aura about him. I wasn't all that shocked to hear about his suicide later. And then Robert's passage again says, I can't remember Joy Division's set at all. Backstage at the Marquee is about as big as a toilet, and there was always about 20 people in there. We couldn't go out to see them play because we were too nervous anyway. So how the fuck Lowell noticed Ian Curtis was sad, I'll never know. <laughs> so Robert kind of throwing Lowell under the bus under that one. But um, the key part being there that they didn't actually go out and watch Joy Division set is mentioned, and that becomes maybe a possible riff that will last the lifespan of not only Joy Division, but Peter Hook's time in New Order as well. Peter Hook, basis for Joy Division and New Order, would eventually put out a biography called Unknown Pleasures Inside Joy Division. This came out in 2012, and uh, there was a small and somewhat unflattering response to the evening in this book, he had kind of written them almost in the visual documentary kind of style or little blurbs for each show around this time. And uh, word for word, it says from, from Peter Hook's book, It was exciting being in the marquee for obvious reasons, and it was really crowded, but the night was ruined by the fact that we had to drive home afterward. <laughs> I don't know why he sounds like this, but the cure never even acknowledged us. Everyone was rocking except us. We just played, then got dragged off to drive home, which was a bit of a downer. <laughs> you kind of sound a little more Australian. Anyway, um, so basically what he's saying there was that uh, it seemed a little bothered the cure didn't come out and acknowledge them playing. But at the same time, he's saying they got dragged off and, and had to leave anyway, so he didn't get to party with them or anything like that or really appreciate the evening. Um... But apparently this wasn't even the only show that The Cure shared the bill with Joy Division. Um, so I feel like there's some mix-up in memory on this. Uh, later in, in Peter Hook's book, it's only about, like, what, March, April, May, June, three or four months later, June 17th to be exact, uh, they would play a show together in Canterbury. Um, again, Joy Division would be the support band. And for that show, Peter Hook wrote, I don't think The Cure liked us. I think they resented us in some way because we'd managed to stay cool and creditable and independent, and they, well, had, you know, sort of sold out a bit. I think they thought, wish we would Joy Division. So, there you have one that's going to kind of cause a little 
raise uh, some perk some ears up there in the cure camp that was kind of a classic peter hook dickish thing to say um not only was it his opinion just trying to be like i don't think they like us you know at the same time he's calling them out for selling out which uh i don't know seems a little weird because it's kind of like how could they have sold anything out at that point they hadn't even put out an album yet so i think he's lumping in some later uh issues with the cure than what was really happening in those two nights but before we get into all that lowell was actually the first one to respond when this book came out and he posted on his levenhurst his band uh his facebook page it says this is a direct quote from from lowell says i don't normally add my two cents to stuff i won't read it all in a fake accent here we go i don't normally add my two cents to stuff but i understand peter hook has a new book out wherein he speaks about a certain 1979 gig that joy division supported the cure at well i remember that particular gig too and my memory is somewhat different from pete's see we arranged the show for the marquee club in london for every sunday of the month called it a month of sundays i think picked every band that opened for us because we liked them and wanted to help them out, not for any other reason than that. Sellouts? I think Robert Smith has done the most marvel job, marvelous job over the years of making sure that The Cure were the least sellout band possible. He's always operated with the utmost integrity as concerns that side of the music business. And to insinuate otherwise is absolutely false and just plain bullocks, too. So, Lowell kind of lashing back at Peter Hook there. I think rightfully so. You know, slagging off and saying silly sellout knocks against them is one thing. But um, I don't know. I love that the main thing that Lowell stuck by and uh, made a great point was saying when, when Peter Hook was accusing them of not liking Joy Division, Lowell's response of, of course we liked Joy Division. That's why we put them on the fucking bill, you know? Why would we have picked them if we didn't like them? So, um Pretty, pretty golden. Gotta admit, Lowell has a point there. Peter Hooks definitely seems to be pretty petty with that kind of comment, uh, throwing it into the book and referring to that as kind of like, you know, definitely holding some kind of grudge, like I said, probably from something later on that uh, he's lumping in with the memories of those two shows uh, that seem to have nothing to do with it. Robert would also comment on the uh, Peter Hook's book during an interview in Paraguay's Radio Urbana during um, the 2013 South American tour. He did a radio interview. And um, I love this because it's also a classic Robert where in the very first sentence he contradicts himself and gets some facts wrong. <laughs> but, so Robert starts off saying, In 1980, when it was 1979... We did a thing in London at the Marquee Club. We picked the four bands we wanted to play with us, and Joy Division were one of those bands. I heard Unknown Pleasures on the radio on John Peel, and it was fantastic. And, you know, Joy Division hadn't recorded Unknown Pleasures yet, but maybe heard some of the songs. I'm not sure which John Peel he's referring to, but uh, anyway, moving on. Robert says, They were the best thing I'd seen. Not ever, because I had seen Bowie and the Stones, but they were of the generation of bands, which is my generation of bands. They were so powerful. That was our best show of the year, I think. We went on after them, and we had to really try hard to match what they did. It's a shame about Ian Curtis. It's like Jimi Hendrix and Kurt Cobain. 
people that good come around far too infrequently. And later on, again referring to Peter Hook's comments um, in his Unknown Pleasures book, Robert would not miss the opportunity to give another little jab in retaliation back to Peter Hook. And uh, he would say, and I'll spare you of the accent this time, Although with the cure in New Order, we come from the same age and everything, but Peter Hook has always had a real big problem with us. Probably because our bass player, Simon Gallup, was so much better looking and such a better bass player. I think Peter was so jealous he could never get over it and he stopped the rest of them from being friendly. We've bumped into them over the years and since he's left, we've played with New Order a few times in the last summer and it's so nice to be able to chat with them. You know, to talk with them because I've always loved New Order. I think they're one of the best bands. They always have a fantastic back catalog like us. It's so nice to say to Bernard Sumner, I like your band. And he says, I like yours as well. And it's taken an awful long time to say hello again with them. They're, they're a good example of bands that get better as they get older. They're fantastic when they played with them last year, and we're playing again with them this year at a couple of summer festivals. So, interesting stuff in that. Uh, hard to say what the real beef was with them over the years, but uh, maybe old Hookie was the problem, um, which, you know, is a super surprising. He's always, as much as I think he's rad as hell and love both those all those bands and all those songs he, he does seem kind of like he could be a prick at times but uh especially in the younger days but who who knows uh that could probably be said for all of us right and definitely our heroes <laughs> so um but yeah um bernard sumner does have a bio that's out as well i'm not sure where he falls on all this but um maybe he could add another perspective and layer to it um, so yeah, the two acts would go on and say a lot of fairly snotty comments back in the old days, back and forth during the 80s and 90s. Um, New Order, you know, the whole accusing each other of, of nicking songs and stuff here and there. The Walk was uh, accused of being a rip in a sort from Blue Monday in between days. Um, has similar moments of Dreams Never End, but then New Order blatantly snagged the chords for Just Like Heaven for their song all the way on technique but the list goes on and on and you know it's kind of goofy to pick apart because they're just obviously um you know fans of each other's music whether they want to admit it or not so uh sad that all that kind of got in the way of their obvious true love for each other <laughs> but um going back to peter hook's comments of thinking the cure just didn't like them which is kind of the real essence of this whole night at the marquee um it does seem a bit silly. I think that there's no real debate about, obviously, Robert's admiration. Same with Lowell for Joy Division. Um, it's pretty obvious. Robert, you know, aside from that interview, has been very public about his praise of New Order and even early Joy Division. Um, fairly recently, he even made some kind of playlist where he ranked his favorite New Order songs and even did like a whole New Order best of playlist. It was mostly just movement and the super early stuff, but it was still sweet. And uh, he always lists them as a major influence, um, even though he always, you know, praises Hendrix and Captain Beefheart and shit more. I think that's uh, definitely, you know, and those are obviously in his DNA of music. If that's uh, what he says, then it's true, obviously. But um, I think there is a more clear through line of Joy Division in the Cure's music than any of those other influences, really. 
Um, part of me loves that this show happened at one of the few eras where the cure didn't really have a clear joy division thread going through as much. Um, that would start, you know, about a year later, um, after sadly Ian Curtis's death and 17 seconds era and stuff, you start to see it a little stronger, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's such a huge joy division connection in the cures music. Um, not only would his lyrics take a drastically different, darker turn um, as they start getting into those dark era albums, and and you know for sure, but uh, even those like rumbling floor tom beats that we talk to talk about a lot here on the podcast, that's so like Joy Division sounding. If you in, in movement, New Order, you know those early ones for sure. Even all the way up through Disintegration, you you hear that kind of stuff in the song. So. So ultimately, I mean, it's it's just a bad misunderstanding. It has to be that the fact that the Cure weren't acknowledging them that night, and uh, kind of just dampened the the relationship between these two bands. Um, I know I'm biased, but I think I buy Robert Smith and Lowell's genuinely. They were too nervous to really go out and cheer on Joy Division at that show. Um, you know, that's a big deal playing that venue. It was the first of the four nights. Um, I could totally see them just pacing around in the tiny little shitty backstage, you know, and, and hooky just took the lack of interaction way too personal. I think, uh, clearly they're all just a bunch of weirdos anyway. So the odd behavior shouldn't really been a, that big of a shock on either party side. Um, plus like, didn't Peter Hook say that they hit the road like right after, um, they played, so it sounded like maybe they didn't even stick around for the Cure set. I'm not 100% sure on that, but isn't that kind of, you know, as far as band etiquette, isn't that kind of a bigger dick move, like splitting before the band that gave you the show's gig even, you know? Like, uh, I don't know, so <laughs> who knows? But uh, it seemed like maybe they were just misunderstanding and uh, just lack of communication, of course, as always, from a bunch of kids. They're all just a bunch of kids at this point playing a show that was way too big that they couldn't even comprehend, probably. So, um, I don't know. It still sounds like an amazing evening, though, despite the uh, lack of bond that formed between the two bands. Um, on this podcast, back in the early episodes, we used to talk a lot about like the ultimate time machine show. Like, you know, we usually pick something from pornography era or something just to see how all that wackiness went down. But uh, I don't know. This one would definitely have to be there, don't you think? It's, uh, I mean, although the Three Imaginary Boys era for The Cure um, isn't really my favorite era as far as, you know, I love that album and all, but, you know, just so many other great eras in their prime that I would like to see them if I had a time machine. So if I was going to, you know, break the rules of time and uh, reality, I probably would go for a, a show that the cure sounds a little more polished, but just for the epic value of two for one deal, that would be pretty rad. Uh, especially if it wasn't even a packed show, you know, if we go by, um, the Cure's perspective, where it was uh, lots of space, lots of good breathing room. You're not packed in there at the marquee. So uh, how cool would that have been? See, join Division and The Cure and not be crammed in the back by the trash can somewhere. But um, I don't know. Um, as far as the marquee and history side of things, the marquee venue finally did officially close um, at 105 Charing Cross Road in 1996, where it moved um it had been kind of the name had been revised a few revived a few times unsuccessfully it sounds like in the last decade where they'll just 
pick a new venue and give it that name. Uh, a few people tried to buy it and have the rights and stuff, but like most classic venues, when they start doing that shit, it's never the same. It can never be the same. And uh, the 90 Wardour Street is now a cigar shop, Spanish restaurant, Cuban restaurant, and some flats above it. So bit sad. I don't know why music venues always seem to get the shaft in a way of that stuff where you, you don't get the historic markers. I think they're doing getting better at that nowadays, but you know, you read these horrible stories of these classic venues and just so much cool history that happened and uh, it just gets ignored for years and shuts down. So bit sad, but you should still go and uh, get your picture there if you in front of that restaurant <laughs> if you're ever in the area because i think it is a big deal so so i don't know what do you guys think was the uh was this just kind of like a super groups kind of thing where maybe uh is a little too good to be true or it couldn't have been that great of a show because the bands were so young and you know or is it was it the greatest show that never got appreciated by anybody fully so i don't know i'd like to hear your opinions on it but uh i think it's it's worthy of more praise than just in passing and uh i really like that article that was initially posted on um the post-punk website there and I'll, I'll link to that on our facebook page too so i advise go check that out and uh and see if you can scrape up some more details like i said this one was kind of a spontaneous episode so i didn't really get to dig in as much as i uh, normally would like to stew on a topic for a while, but uh, I was just like, oh yeah, that's like tonight, so that would be a great time to get something a little more time relevant into the podcast, and uh, you know, sorry I didn't have time to hash it out with the boys too, so hopefully my uh, late night ramblings have been listenable, and thanks for joining me. So, we're going to shift gears now a bit, and this is uh, the business portion for the last bit here. Um, it'll be a fairly short episode, but I really did want to get these kind of announcements in here and, uh, like I said, let you guys know what is up um, and a couple plans that I have for the podcast that might be fun if we embrace them correctly. Uh, like I said, it's partially just brainstorming too, but three big announcements, and I'll try to make these as succinct and clear as possible for now since uh, it's kind of just rambling off the top of my head. So um, first big announcement. This one's no real biggie, but uh, April's coming up. 17th, 2nd's 40th anniversary month. And uh, I just want to let you guys know that we are planning to do a full-on 17 Seconds album review again, where we go through all the juicy details since the old one is kind of buried in that no-man's land of early episodes where it is on YouTube. But uh, other than that, thanks to our former hosting site, it's kind of not listenable somewhere i think luckily they've removed them all at least from the thread so it's not just dead links but anyway we never got to talk with Chaz about that one and i know he likes that album a lot and uh don loves it and i love it too so let's dive back into an album that we all love about it's been so long since we've just had a total praise fest so we'll we'll be uh, gushing all over 40 40 years of 17 seconds the three of us but the part that concerns you guys is the next episode, like we've done for some of the later albums where we kind of threw it out for uh, your perspectives, where you don't just want it to be us, you know, like us three dinguses talking about 17 seconds. We want to get your opinions on it, too. We thought a fun way of doing the other perspectives episode um, for that month will be 
to take some calls and we'll kind of get some calls. I'm not quite sure yet if we'll do it mystery caller style, um, but I'd like to throw it out to specific people. So um, if you think you want to talk to us and we'll record the conversation, it won't be full on live. So we can always, you know, revise anything you want, of course. But um, yeah, so just drop me a line at gavinconnor at gmail.com or through any of the social media stuff. If you're interested, we'll get your information before we record it and we'll just call you up and uh, we'll do it that way. So we're not doing spontaneous calls and that way we can try to arrange when, you know, we'll probably have to pick a date where everyone can do it since we're going to be trying to sync everybody's schedules up. So if it's something you're interested in, we'll try to work out and schedule a time where we can call you up and uh, the four of us will all chit chat about 17 seconds and what you feel about it, what you love about it, what you think is missing, if anything. And uh, it's important to the Cure catalog. So keep an eye on April. We'll be officially 17 seconds month here at the Holy Hour podcast. Um, second big announcement is, as I mentioned on social media, mostly we have successfully switched to our new hosting site. However, when we left the old crappy one, as I mentioned, those older episodes kind of got lost for good. I think, um, I was holding out hope that maybe they'd get resurrected when I pulled it into the stream of the other one. But, um, I think they were pretending that they're still out there, but the old crappy site, had just kind of wiped them so uh however being the overly paranoid nut that i am i still have the actual files and uh they are on youtube like i said but it's driving me a little bit crazy that they're not in the main thread so on this new hosting site i think if i upload them and predate them they'll pop down at the bottom and then i can connect them from the bottom up to what's currently going on all the way up. I think it's to the love cats episode, um, which is 80. So I'm going to have to re-upload like 80 episodes. So what concerns you guys though, is I don't want to just start uploading them all. Cause then they're going to pop up on your, if anyone subscribed, if anyone subscribed, <laughs> um, it'll pop up like a billion podcasts at a time. And that would be super annoying. So what I'd like to do is re-upload one, uh, starting at the first original episode with Donald and I shooting the shit, telling our origin tales. I'm going to re-upload it in the in-between weeks. Since it's a bi-week podcast, we'll have our new episode. And then the next episode, I'll do like episode one. And then the new episode, and then episode two. Um, so it'll be a, a weekly podcast then. So it'll just be the oldies kind of coming back into the thread. And uh, I think that'll be a cool way to gradually get them all in there. And, uh, you know, it's been long enough now where maybe there's people that hadn't heard those anyway, or it might be funny to revisit them and uh, see how bad we contradict ourselves and how much my opinions have changed over the years or whatever. But uh, that'd be kind of fun. So I think I'm going to give that a go. If you guys have any huge objections, um, you know, speak up because I might be missing something, but I'm going to give it a shot, I think and uh, see how that works out, and I'll start to upload them, because it is. It's just driving me nuts that the first episode is 86 or something on there. Um, YouTube's great, where they're all there, but I don't know. There's just something weird about listening to podcasts on YouTube. I can't get into it. I'm glad they're there, but at the same time, I don't want that to be the only place they're there. So I'm going to try to gradually up, re-upload all the old golden oldies, and we'll, we'll treat them like reissues. So Cool. It shouldn't bother you any other thing other than popping up one more episode every week instead of bi-weekly. Cool with that? All right, finally, the last one. 
I'm real close to taking the Patreon plunge, guys. I, you know, like most rational people, I hate anything that comes close to asking for money or trying to capitalize on something I love I'm, that I'm doing. Uh, that's why I've never been able to make a career out of something that I truly love. But <laughs> I'm seeing more and more people do this, and perhaps it's not such a needy, greedy platform kind of thing that I feel like it might come off that way, and I really don't want it to. So it basically turned me on to the idea that we could actually do some funner stuff with the podcast and have it be like bonus track kind of things that, uh, you know, although it's going to take a little bit more time and editing and expenses on my end, um, could be fun to kind of add a little extra kick to the podcast too, only if you're interested. So that's what's cool is that nothing will actually change with the podcast as far as just listening for free every other week. Um, but, you know, if somebody wants to dig in and get a little bit more, we'll have a way to do that. And uh, it would also help me out a lot with expenses and time and digging into these edits and taking our time with it a bit more and, uh, you know, justifying to my wife why I'm listening to Donald's voice for like 20 hours a week or whatever. <laughs> You know, just digging in. So, um, yeah, I think it could be really fun. And we'll keep it to where it's more interactive stuff for the for the uh, donation levels and stuff like that, too. I'm not going to print up a bunch of magnets and shit because that would, like, I'd have to pay to ship them to you guys. And it kind of defeats the purpose. So I thought it would be kind of funner if we do all the, like, the donation levels as things that actually are a part of the show. And, uh you know, there's so many possibilities of that. I don't want to rattle off everything with it, but I'm putting together really cool ones. And we, we got like, you know, the idea of keeping it cheap too. It's obviously, it'd be like, you know, I don't want it to be the same price as like a streaming service or something, but we could, you know, keep it the lowest bracket would be the core ones where we have like just mainly a bonus episode. And uh, that would be kind of rad, don't you think? To get an extra episode a month, we would make sure you have it in whatever form. Um, basically, it could be anything from another cure-related topic to something like off-cure topic, maybe a little bit. Uh, there's been a few that we felt like have straight a little bit from the from the cure topic a bit too much to do as an actual episode so we figured that would be kind of cool to uh throw that in as like the bonus episode or maybe some kind of uncut version of one that we've had to really chop up for time's sake where donald really gets on a rant or something like that <laughs> and um you know it could be cool so or maybe even like a possibility of a slightly you know we talk about like doing a joy division episode or something like that would be kind of cool where it wouldn't fall into the official holy hour one but it would be an exclusive for Patreon patrons and stuff like that. So the next bracket up, we thought it'd be fun to uh, do, since I don't want to go down the avenue of ads, you know? This new hosting site's really rad where we you upload an episode and they would connect you to ads even, so I could just read something and, and we'd have ads on the show and maybe generate some money. I mean, yeah, if it was like an ad for hams, you know, America's classic premium beer, you know, born in the land of sky blue waters, brewed in the true family tradition from the purest waters and choicest barley, malt, grain, and hops. But in all actuality, it'd be probably for like a fucking mattress or something. I don't want to do that. Um, I figured, well, what if that ad time was something from you guys? So if you were paying for a patreon thing then we could have a little block of time at the end 30 seconds worth at least keep it short and sweet or you could promote anything you want you could send us your um, website that you want to 
promote or you could uh, send us your band's link or something and we could just use that as an ad. I'd much rather push anything you guys would like to promote, even if it's something totally not Cure related, but at least it's coming from a Cure fan. And we could put that all together and that would be kind of cool. And you could even record an intro to the show maybe or something, just introducing the Holy Hour podcast. So I don't have to say it every top of episode it'd be kind of fun to have other people introduce the episode so stuff like that it would be real easy i could walk you through it and then uh maybe like an ultimate level one you could be the full-on program director of an episode we thought that would be cool or you could pick the cure topic you get to pick the combination of host and who you want on there you can even pick donald and i's sobriety levels and uh where, where you want us at and you just direct the whole thing if you want and tell us exactly what you want in a holy hour podcast episode what you want us to talk about you could be the main guest if you want you can have nothing to do with it just tell us what to do and that would be kind of cool you decide it all and uh, you could decide if that's even just a Patreon exclusive episode or one that we could release into the public. So possibilities are endless. What do you think? So it could be cool. Just let me know. I could pull up Robert Smith and like totally fucking not do any of this at the last minute. But um, I thought it might be fun to dabble in. I would love to hear your opinions on it. Like I said, you know, anytime you involve money or anything, it just starts to feel dirty. But I think... If I, if I look at it, the perspective of it's just bonus tracks, like the deluxe edition of the podcast, um, then we all feel better about it, maybe. And then uh, that way, if you want to choose the deluxe edition package, go for it. If not, nothing changes. All right, to recap, we got an upcoming 17 seconds episode. If you're interested in partaking in that, drop me a line. We'll call you up and hash it out. And uh, also keep an eye on your feed. If you start seeing some golden oldies popping up in there, don't freak out. It's just the old ones we're trying to catch back up with. And the third one, Patreon. So keep an eye on that. I'll let you know as that starts to take shape. It might be a while off still, but... um. Yeah, so, I don't know. Three three great ideas, right? <laughs> so, until then, go back and uh, listen. Make yourself a playlist. I haven't done it yet of uh, all the Joy Division songs that were mentioned in that set list and all the Cure ones mentioned in their set list. And uh, you could probably even piece it together with live versions of all those. That would be pretty rad to have that playlist. And uh, close your eyes and try to imagine being at that show, 1979, 41 years ago tonight. So uh, turn off the lights, have a bottle of wine, listen to the to that playlist and take yourself back in time. And on top of that, you know, 17 seconds, shirts.bigcartel.com is where you're going to want to find all kinds of cool new Cure shirts. And, uh, you know, keep an eye on pre-orders there. You'll you'll see Chaz's designs and uh, you won't be able to resist. So have some money to spend. And uh, Arisha's got a new zine out. So be sure to go on over to CureFanDocumentary.com. See what's up on where to order issue number three of Push, a Cure fanzine. I got mine in the mail on the way here. Can't wait to read it. Should be rad. Uh, it focuses on the greatest moments of 2019 and should be really cool. I know she's selling it through Rough Trade and a couple are available, I think, at remixgifts.com. So we'll put links to all those in here too and uh, be sure to track it down and, and find her on social media um, if you can't find the right links. So all that is out there. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for bearing with all my business talk at the end here. I really appreciate you guys listening and, uh, you know, 
always being so supportive of everything with the podcast. So we'll see where we can take this thing and try to make it a little more fun and keep us on our toes. So until then, talk hard and take care. Bye.